So glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for coming, especially if you came back and you came to Easter service and you've come back today. We're so glad that you've come and that you've decided to uh, try us out again and, and really uh, maybe try God out um, again and uh, see what God has for you through Jesus Christ. That's our hope for you as you've, as you've come here today and that it would be less about how, how great our programs are or the things that we do, but it would be more about you seeing Jesus and understanding who he is. You know, when we look at God, there's so many times that we just, we, we don't view him in the way that he's intended to be viewed. Many of us, we impose on God what we think he is or what we want him to be. We impose on him and we say that this is the kind of God that I want to serve or I'd never serve a God who does that. You read something in the Bible that's very difficult, and I could show you several passages that I can't even explain to you that would blow your mind, and you would say, I, I really don't like I guarantee you, I could show you some passages right now that you would be like, whoa, I don't even know what to do with that, and I would just have to say to you as well, like, I'm not even sure I know what to do with that. I'm not even sure I know what, how to handle that or, or what, to, what to do with this God that seems to be the one who just does whatever he wants or acts in whatever way he sees fit. And so many of us, we want to sit in judgment. In fact, all of us, to one degree or another, we want to sit in judgment over this God and say, like, I, I, I don't like this about you, and so therefore I'm not going to follow you. Or I don't like these aspects of the Christian faith, and so therefore I'm not going to have any part of it. And even those of us who are professing Christians still have these viewpoints and our lives are dictated by them. What we believe about God is played out in our lives. How, how in control or, or, or what, what he does or, or what we think about him plays out in our everyday life. And I want to encourage you today to decide right now to say, if there is a God who created all things, like if there is a God and he created the human mind, if there is a God who knows infinitely more than you and I put together could ever actually know, then why in the world would I sit and try to question him? Because ultimately, he knows best. And I want to show you something out of the book of Ecclesiastes that my hope is this. My hope is that you're going to see what, what real wisdom is. I also want to show you this, that this real wisdom is played out in your life every day. You operate within the context of this wisdom. This is how you live your life, but it's also a picture of who God is. So you say, I don't like this about God, but you, but you operate in this way throughout your daily life in this type of wisdom. That's what I'm hoping to tell you today. Now, I want to tell you this uh, from the very beginning that this is one of the most difficult passages I think there is in the book of Ecclesiastes to teach. And I thought that last week was going to be, uh, or the la last time we taught on Ecclesiastes uh, two weeks ago was going to be extremely difficult because of some things there. I think this is even more difficult because the way that Solomon speaks is not with like, here's my point, you know, point one, here's point two, here's point three, here's point. He doesn't really speak like that. He just starts talking. And he's just kind of talking. 
And you could kind of take it one of two ways. You could say, who is this guy who's rambling? Whoever wrote this down did not understand Western thought and did not understand how to keep my attention. And I just want to tell you that this isn't about Western thought. This is about uh, early uh, ancient culture. This is about this Hebrew culture and the way that they told stories and the way that they communicated and a man who wants to communicate to you who God really is versus who you think God is. So would you get in your mind here for just a second that what's going to be required is humility? What's going to be required is humility to really receive what God has for you today. Humility, it's, it's going to be a lack of arrogance to say, ah, I know, I know better. It's going to be a, a, a lack of, you know what, the, how can that be true? What, what's going to be required is that if you're going to follow the God of the universe, that you have to lay down your rights. And you have to hear what he has to say. So this is what the word of God says, and I'm telling you in advance that it's difficult, so just be forewarned. I am going to read the entire chapter, chapter 8, through, verse, uh, through chapter 9, verse 1. So track with me. Then we're going to go back through, and I'm going to walk through it. And I'm going to try to do this very expeditiously so that you are able to hear and know and understand what we're saying. This is what he says. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Stop right there for just a second. Think about mug shots. Mug shots. Many of your Facebook profile pics look like mug shots, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, some, some of us should smile instead of trying to look tough. Um, but, uh, but mug shots on the news when you watch it in the evening. And the dude who just robbed the bank, the guy who's a hardened criminal, the guy who's been, like this is the 45th, there was a guy recently, it was like the 45th time that he's been arrested <laughs> Like, isn't there some type of rule? Like, okay, this is enough. Like, you're just, you're just in now. Like, you're, you're just going to stay in jail for a while. Like, we're wasting too much taxpayer money. But, I, you know, I don't know. So 45 times. But, the, you know, I, I think I remember his, uh, his mugshot was, a, or all of his mugshots were like, you know, there's this sense of arrogance. There's a sense of menacing. Like, you know, you, you can look into his face and you can just go, this guy does not want to do anything good. That's what that verse says. Wisdom causes a man's face to shine. Keep going. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases, for the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying it to my heart, to all that is done under the sun, when a man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. This is absurd. 
Because the sentence of an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity or absurd. And I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and to drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. Both are before God. Now, a couple things. First of all, beginning here, as I said, he's talking about people who have a heart that is set towards doing evil, and essentially, he's saying this in verse 1. He says, who is like the wise? Who knows how to interpret things? And then he's going to affirm something. That when you have wisdom, it causes your face to shine. The hardness of his face is changed. There's other passages. Psalm, uh, uh, where am I at here? Psalm 34, verse I totally lost it. Oh, there it is. Verse 4. Okay. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. What this is saying is this, is that when there's wisdom, true wisdom, as in biblical wisdom, understanding who God is, your face shines. There's an article from a, uh, an author by the name of Matthew Paris. He wrote for the Times. He is an atheist, and the title of his article says this, Why Africa Needs God, an Atheist's Perspective. His thesis statement goes like this, Missionaries, not aid money, are the solution to Africa's biggest problem, which is the crushing passivity of the people's mindset. He has come from Africa. He's come from this area. That's where he was raised as a boy, it sounds like. And he looks at Africa and he sees all of the problems and he says it is a result of a crushing passivity. In his article, he's going to go through and he's going to say that there's all these issues and problems that Africa is dealing with and they're really rooted in the culture there. 
It's rooted in the way that people act and the way that people respond to all kinds of things. But what he's going to say is this, is that when the missionaries came in and something happened, people changed. He says this, first then, the observation. We had friends who were missionaries, and as a child, I stayed often with them. I also stayed alone with my little brother in a traditional rural African village. In the city, we had working for us Africans who had converted and were strong believers. The Christians were always different. Far from having cowed or confined its converts, their faith appeared to have liber liberated and relaxed them. There was a liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world, a directness in their dealings with others that seemed to be missing in traditional African life. They stood tall. Their faces shined. He goes on to talk about how it, rather than them kind of being these uh, remorseful kind of secluded people, they went from remorseful secluded people who didn't really look up at people. They, they, they weren't really going after things. They were passive. Instead of that, they were tackling the problems of their life. This is the view of an atheist who says, I come in and I'm seeing different things. This article is fascinating. I read it a couple of different times and I was just like, I want to read the whole thing to you, but I'm not going to right now because I mean, let me, let me read one more. Okay. Whenever we entered a territory worked by missionaries, we had to acknowledge that something changed in the faces of the people we passed and spoke to. Something in their eyes, the way they had approached you direct, man to man, without looking down or away, they had not become more deferential towards strangers, in some ways less so, but more open. There's an openness to these people. There's an openness to their life, and you could see it in their face. You could see what was going on. When Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 8, 8 uh, chapter, or verse 1, he says, A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. <coughs> you see this in who they are. My wife and I, oftentimes when we're out and about and you know at different places, oftentimes... Sometimes we'll say to each other, I bet that person's a Christian. The way that they deal with people, the way that they're so kind. I'm not always right, but there's many times where I, where I just go, there's something about that person that seems different than the rest of the people here. Now, what I'm not saying right now is that I believe that uh, Christians are better people. They just happen to be more morally right, and so therefore they are better people within society. What I'm saying is this is that the wisdom of God has come into their life and it's changed them eternally and internally. The wisdom of God comes in and something happens and they begin to think in a new and different way. There's no longer this fear of death, Matthew Paris goes on to say. They're not fearing evil spirits or witchcraft or other things like that, but they come in and they have a different perspective on life. So this is what we want to establish first. There is a wisdom that can change your life. Will you listen to it? Will you listen to it? There's a true wisdom. This atheist person sees it. I want to encourage you to observe. And you could look at all of the instances of so-called Christian people that have uh, done horrific things. You could bring up the Crusades and say, oh, what about the Crusades? Or you could bring up a Creflo Dollar trying to raise... Uh, five, six, I don't know how many millions of dollars to get a G6. 
I mean, uh, this is ridiculous. Creflo Dollar is a, a TV preacher. That's, that's ridiculous. You can bring up all of those things, but it doesn't change the wisdom of God. Because I would say this, that don't you think that if there tr truly is a, a real God who says that there really is an enemy, don't you think that one of the best ways to attack the real God is to say, let's put out fake people who act like they are from God, and really, they're terrorists in disguise. And they're going to come in, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, I'm all about God, I'm all about God, and then, boom, they drop a bomb. They drop a bomb, and the bomb is, oh, yeah, I'm all about Jesus. Give me $5 million so I can have a jet, because that's needed, that's necessary. Let me go kill a bunch of people who don't agree with me. That's, that is the plan of the enemy. And you could look at that and you could say, oh yeah, but that's what they are. But th you need to understand something. Christianity, the wisdom from God, the true wisdom from God, means that there's a changed life, that there's a changed heart. And that it's not someone who's pursuing all of these financial benefits and it's not someone who's pursuing murder of other religions, but it is somebody who's pursuing God and allowing themselves to be murdered. Case in point, Jesus Christ himself and his followers who were the true adherents to him. That was just verse 1. We're in trouble. No, actually, you're in trouble. So. <laughs> it's going to be a good one, though. I'm going to try to move quick here and... and uh, make this happen. Where am I at? Verse 2. I say, <laughs> thank you, sir. All right. Um, is this bugging anybody else? That's driving me crazy. I feel like I got loops on the edge of, edge of my shirt. All right. Here we go. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him, be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and just way. Okay, stop right there. Why does he say, here's true wisdom, it's going to make your face shine. Everybody want a shiny face? I do. Right? So he's saying, here's true wisdom. Life's going to be better. You're going to have a different perspective than anyone else. And then he says, okay, I say, here's what it looks like to obey a king. Like, it doesn't make sense. Here's what, here, here's what I figured out maybe 10 minutes ago. Because I've been stressing about this sermon, all right? Here, here's, here's what I'm telling you. I've, 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 don't, don't get me wrong. I've studied and I've studied. Here's what I think Solomon's saying. He's saying... The king is a prototype of God. The king in your life is a prototype of God. You say, I don't have any king. Yes, you do. You have a job. You have a job. Who's the king in your life? Your boss. Your boss is your king. Where else do we have kings? Well, your teacher, your professor. Sometimes it's your spouse, husband or wife, because there's mutual submission there. And there's this idea of you are submitting in these areas. There are areas of submission in your life and authority that you operate in every day. Case in point, most of us in here are not in jail right now, right? If you're on, if you're on release, we're glad you're here. All right? I see it in a couple of your faces. I, 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 just, I was just guessing. 
Most of us are not in jail. And the reason is because of this. Because we look at the, the way that life is. We look at the authority structure and we say, I have decided that I'm not going to kill somebody today. I've decided that I'm not going to take out vengeance. I decided that I'm not going to steal from my neighbor. I decide there are things about our life and you operate within an authority structure and that authority structure that you operate within is you processing and using wisdom. You're using wisdom in your life and you're making discernment and you're saying this, I'm not going to do this, I am going to do this. I don't want to be in jail, I want to be free. I want to live my life, whether it's in your job, your school, your marriage, whatever the case may be. And some advice that he gives us here. He says, be not hasty to go from his presence. Don't leave while the king is talking. Don't walk out on your boss. Like your boss, is, hey, would you go? To, yeah, huh. You're, you're walking away from him. Don't be hasty to go from the king's presence. Don't just walk out. There's this idea of respect. Don't take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. When you're in the midst of your job or in the midst of your schooling or what have you, like if you're somebody who's going to take up a cause, an evil cause, meaning you're going to commit some type of sin, basically it's just obvious that you shouldn't steal, that you shouldn't take things that you shouldn't align against your teacher and figure out how to cheat. And basically he's saying, it's just obvious, it's common sense. You use wisdom every single day. There is this wisdom that should be covering your life, and that wisdom means this, that you are going to keep your job, you're going to stay in school and get good grades without cheating, and you're going to stay in your marriage because there's going to be mutual submission, and you're going to whatever, right? It's common wisdom. It's caused them co common wisdom knowledge, right? So there's this wisdom. And this wisdom, all of these authority structures are a picture of God. All of them are a picture of how God works. Your authority structure, in many cases, can do whatever he pleases. You might say, well, they, you know, there's a principal over, or the, you know, the dean, or or, you know, my boss has a, a, a board or, you know, what, what, what have you. But, but really, in many cases, they can do whatever they want. And you abide by these rules. Wisdom says that you really abide by these rules. He can do whatever he wants. He can, he, uh, uh, verse 4, for the word of the king is supreme. What he says, what she says matters. You can't question him or her. Who may say to him, what are you doing? They have absolute authority. Whoever keeps a command will know, will know no evil thing. There's an expectation that you're not only presenting yourself as being right, meaning you're not cheating the company or cheating on tests or cheating on your wife, but that there's an expectation when you're saying, I'm not cheating, that you're not cheating. I'm not stealing, I'm not stealing. There's this expectation that goes from more than you just saying so, but it's an inner reality. But so often we say, I don't really like these things about God, but the truth is you operate within that structure all the time in your daily life. 
And then you try to impose, like, if there is a God, then I think he should operate this way. But the truth is that God has set up these structures all the way around you, and you're in the midst of them, and all of those structures are an example of who he is. You can't control him. You don't know what your boss is going to do tomorrow. He may close the company tomorrow. You'll be out of a job. You don't know what the teacher's going to do. He may just decide, I don't like people who go to church occasionally, and I'm just going to, you know, fail you. You don't know what's going to happen within the context of your marriage. Your spouse could leave you tomorrow, or they could come home and bless you today. You don't know what's going to happen. They can do whatever they want. You say, I don't really like a God like that, that, I, that can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But you work in that authority structure all the time. This is an example of who God is. These verses, this king that he's talking about is a prototype of who God is. That's my point right there. I've got to move on to the next session. Section. Verse 7. Where am I at here? For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? You can look at this God prototype and you don't know what's going to happen. It's the same way with God. You can know God and yet not know the future. You can know God and yet not know the future. That's, his, that's a problem. I, I don't know what the, the future is going to hold. And so, uh, you know, and because I don't know that, because I don't know what's, what's going on, how should we respond? Well, he immediately goes into, he says, for he does not know what, it, what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? And then he says, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Now stop right there for a second. There's this perplexing thing, which is if I don't know the future... If I don't really believe in this idea of heaven or hell, if I don't really believe in this God or whatever, which you should because you actually look around you and you see all of these authority structures that are around you. And so basically someone can say this, well, like, if I don't know what's going to happen, should I not just be wicked for the rest of my life? And I believe what Solomon is saying here is he's saying, in the midst of war, the battle just begun. You can't run up to, sergeant, to your sergeant and say, you know what, I just... I just got a hangnail. Can you let me go back to the camp? There's no discharge from war. There's no crying in war. Get back out there. You cannot be discharged from this. Here's the point. You will not be discharged from war, and wickedness will not deliver you from what is to come. And what is, what is wickedness? What's well, denying these facts about God? It's denying this reality. It's saying, you know what? I'm just going to live however I want because I don't see all of these things, and so therefore I'm just going to do whatever. And Solomon gives us a solemn warning, and he says this. Wickedness is not going to deliver you. You think it will right here and right now, but it will not deliver you. It is not going to come to a good end. Should I be wicked then? The answer is no. Verse 10. Why? Verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. 
We're at a funeral right now. And what's this funeral? It's a funeral of a wicked person. And everybody knows that he's wicked. Or she's wicked. It's, it's a funeral. He's, he's telling us a story. We're following this, this line of what is wisdom. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in, in the city where they had done such things. So what's he saying right there? There's a wicked person... And there's either one of two things that's happening. Either before they died, they were always going to church. They were going to the holy place. They were going to the holy place, and people were like, this guy is incredible. I mean, you should, uh, I mean, he's awesome. We love him. He's praised. But in reality, he's a wicked person. But there's a second option. I think they go together, and that is this. He's, he's wicked at his funeral He's in the holy place. I'm talking about this as though we're reading from the original language. So there's a couple of different meanings that it could mean. So he's in the holy place. So there's a casket right here. Here lies dead Bob, right? Sorry if your name's Bob today. You're wicked, all right? Uh, here lies Bob. And oh, Bob, he was such a great man. I mean, you should see all of the fantastic things that he's done. And oh man, I mean, he did. He had this, he had that. He done. He, he had done. I remember one time that he gave me five dollars, and it was incredible. And and I needed five dollars. Oh, thank you, Bob. That Bob was fantastic. Let's go bury him. He's in the holy place. He's being praised. Or he was a churchgoer, and he was always praised. And what was actually going on is that he was wicked. Okay. So it's either someone who thought they were righteous and they're actually wicked, or somebody who really was wicked and people are saying nice things about them. So irreligious or religious, one or the other. But here's the thing. You and I are sitting in the funeral and we're going, Bob. That guy left his wife. I saw him refuse to help his kids, the people he fathered. I saw Bob do this. None of that's true. Don't even, don't even act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows that we've sat at a funeral before and we've said, uh, I actually know that person. That's not true. Jeez, what's going to happen at the gate with St. Peter or whoever's going to be there? I don't know. What's going to happen to that guy? Oh, but he was a good person. He did more good than bad. What this is saying, I went to a funeral, and this is a wicked person, and everybody's saying that he was a good person, or they thought he was a good person because he went to church. But in reality, he says, this also is vanity. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, this is absurd. It's ridiculous. You and I both know it. Stop acting like you have it all together when you actually don't. You go to church. I see your life. I, I saw your life before you died, and everybody says, oh, he does, has done great things. This isn't true. This is absurd. Everybody knows it. You know it. I know it. We all know it. All those darn wicked people, right? Okay. So verse 11 says this, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Hold that thought for a second. Verse 12. 
Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Aha, those who fear God. Oh, the fear of the Lord. I love that. Love me some fear of the Lord. Yes, some of us are just going, mm, it is going to go well for those who fear the Lord. Yes, yes. Next verse, verse 13. But it will not be well with the wicked. Uh-huh, you darn wicked people, Bob. Who do you think you are walking around like you're going to church and like you've got all this stuff going on? No way in heck. There's no way that this is going down. It will not be well with the wicked. Let's pound the pulpit. Let's get in their face. Neither will he prolong his days. That's right. He's going to hell. His days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. You don't fear God. You're going to hell. That's all there is. But you missed a very big piece of this, every one of us, churchgoers, non-churchgoers, people that like God, people that don't like God, what he just said here was this, because the sentence against an evil deed, verse 11, is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying the dude that got arrested 45 times, why does that happen? Why? Because he obviously doesn't understand that there is ever going to be any consequence for him, spiritually speaking, eternally, or presently. There obviously isn't enough consequence for this dude. He keeps re-offending. The, the consequences are not stiff enough to where he wakes up and just goes, you know what, if I do that one more time, I'm done. He just continues to do it, and he continues to do it. But here's the thing. And you say, okay, we need stiffer penalties, but you need to know who he's talking about. The heart of the children of man. Who are the children of man? Does he say of the righteous man or of, of the wicked man? The heart of the children of wicked men. No. It's all-encompassing. Because the heart of the children of man is in this place, and they go, you know what? I don't see any penalty for that. There's no, I can just do whatever I want. I don't see, I don't see that this is going to take place. I'll just continue to do this. You know why I speed? Because I'm not going to get caught. I look for cops. I'm looking for brake lights. They get, I, know, I know what to do. That's why you speed too, all right? And if you don't, get out of my way, all right? Just get out of my way. The left lane is for passing. The right lane is not, okay? And we could go into this right now, but we're not. The heart, what, I gotta read the verse again. Because the sentence of, of an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. He's talking about all of man. There's nobody here who's not a children of man child of man, sorry. There's nobody here who's not included in that. And what's he saying? Because my heart is fully committed to do evil, and because I know uh, I'm really not going to experience anything for this, I'm fully set towards doing evil all the time. Do you know what this is? This is humanity's problem. 
the guy who goes to church and he thinks, ah, I'm holy. I've got this figured out. I've got this worked out. He is a child of man. And his heart is fully set to do evil because he does not see that his penalty will be carried out soon. But then you have the person on the other side who says, you know what? I don't really believe in God, so I can just do whatever I want. And guess what? He, his heart is fully set to do evil all the time. This has been the problem of man since the beginning, is that we have hearts that are set towards doing evil. Now, what's the wisdom in all of this? What is the wisdom that we need to see? Verse 14, and this is what throws most people. I've gotten you this far, but here's a problem. There is something absurd that takes place on earth. Verse 14, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is absurd. And you look out over your life and you say, okay, you're, you're claiming that all authority is a picture of who God is. And you're claiming that true wisdom means this, that I recognize that and then I see that. I understand who I actually am. And this is the way that, uh, why the, the world works the way that it is. But hey, pastor, how come if there really is a God, how come good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. We've already touched on this just a little bit, but I think it's very important that you get this. If you're going to be a Christian, this is one truth that you just have to receive. Why? Because the king does whatever he wants. Who gets to question him? Are you going to question him? Hey, king, who do you think you are? Say, well, if he's God, I should be able to ask him that. I should be able to do whatever I want. I should be able to say, I should be able to say, you know what? Forget you, God. But guess what? You won't do that in your job because you want your job. You want to feed your family. You won't do that in your school because you know that that person's in charge. You operate in an authority structure that you abide by right here and right now, that you do not extend to God. But God has shown you that, uh, that authority structure so that you understand something. He's in charge. His word matters, and your word does not. What he says goes. There's no one that can question him. He does whatever he wants. And when you come to God and you say, you know what, God? I think God should be love, which he is. And you know, but, but my definition of love is that he should never do anything that I don't understand. Well, guess what? It's not the way that it is. He's the king. He's the boss. He's the teacher. He's the policeman. He's the president. He's the governor. You already operate within this structure. Why would you look at God and say, how dare you? You don't do it with anybody else. At least not typically. So what do we do with that? There's a big problem, and that is that bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people, and you say, I, I'm not going to believe because of that. And so what's Solomon's answer? He says in verse 15, and I commend joy. Okay, with that in mind, 
Guess what? Be joyful. I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. He says, be joyful. This is the one thing that you can have. This is the one thing that you can take with you. This is the one thing. And that is that you can be joyful through life and you can recognize that this came from God. It's the age-old question like, what about all the evil? What about all of this evil in the world? How can there be a God? And you can ask the same question back. What about all of the good? What about all of the good? How come there's any good in this life? Well, there should be good. Well, where'd you get that idea? Why should there be good? You just made a moral law. Are you, are you God? Are you the one who's in charge? He says, he commends joy. He says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. There's no rest. Verse 17, when I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, However, however much may man toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Now, he began the passage with saying, you need wisdom. But who really can figure anything out? You need wisdom. It'll make your face shine. Life will go better for you. It works in Africa. I believe it works here too. But this is what true wisdom is, is to recognize the authority of the living God in your life. You already recognize it in all these other places. But many of us can get thrown off by this idea of bad things happen to good people. Why is there so much suffering? There can't be a God. It's the way that it is. No, he's the authority figure. You say, how can it be good? Because he's going to make all things right in the end, and the only thing I can do is trust the only thing I can do is trust him. And so he basically says this, and I'll use someone else's words here from D.A. Garrett. And summing this up, he says, number one, people should enjoy the good things life offers and not waste themselves in vexation over the problem of evil. It's an unanswered question unanswered problem but God just doesn't give us the answer right now all we know is he's going to make things right that's all I know that's all you know at your job my boss is going to do what he wants and I need to be okay with that number two God has deliberately made life unpredictable in order to thwart human efforts to master and control it if you fear God and only good things happen to you, the only thing you can say is this, God, you have forced me to love you. Well, of course I have to love you. You're essentially a dictator, and basically, when I do good, then good things happen to me. And many of us think that that's what Christianity is, but I want to tell you, news flash, bad things happen to good people. Missionaries get their heads cut off. People who profess to know Jesus Christ as the Son of God, people of the cross, get their heads cut off. 
And that's not even it. People who claim to know and follow Jesus and operate in that way will lose their businesses increasingly so. Why? Because this world will continually fight against the God of the universe. It will happen here and now. It already is. Why are people fighting us on what our belief system is above everyone else? Why is everyone fighting us? Oh, we need to be open. We need to be tolerant of all religions except for Christianity. Why? Look, at, look around you. Why? Because it's true. Because it's counterintuitive. Because it's the real wisdom that people don't want to receive. It's true. Number three, God is showing us that all things are in his hands and not ours. If you're going to come to Jesus Christ and you're going to say, I fear the King of kings and Lord of lords, then you must give up everything. You must give up every hold that you think that you have on your life of control. Otherwise, you don't truly believe. If you think that you can control God through the good things that you do, your hope isn't in Jesus, it's in yourself. If you think that you can make things good by being more wicked and say, I'm just going to enjoy life, I'm going to enjoy life, I'm going to enjoy life, it will not go well with you. In the same way that it will not go well with you in your job, if you think that you can be wicked in your job or in your school or in your home, it will not go well with you. You already believe that in your life. Fear God. What does it mean to fear God? Believe in his son, Jesus Christ. You must believe in him. You must trust him with your life. You must give up all uh, ideas of control on the things that are happening in your life. You must be aware of this. That you could get your head cut off, you could lose your business, you could lose everything. You could lose your wife, your kids, your husband, whoever it is. You could give up a promotion because you refuse to do what everyone else wants you to do. Because you want to do what's right. Good things are not guaranteed to happen to you. But if you fear God, it will go well with you in the end. Because true life will be prolonged. That's the promise. That's the promise. This king is a prototype of the true king. You must trust him today. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Do not put it off. You must trust in Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there are many of us in this room who think that we're Christians and yet we're not. And my hope today is not to call into question their faith, but to encourage them towards greater faith. They may, may have begun with something, but really they've just been hoping that good things will happen to them. But they will be surprised soon when bad things happen to them. And they think that you don't exist, but really they don't understand the true and living God in the same way that they understand their own boss, their own teachers, their own people, the, the people that are in authority over them. So, Lord, I pray that they'd truly look to the wisdom that's already around them and to understand the wisdom that you have for us. And I pray that they would live in accordance with what you've provided. Lord Jesus, we ask you for this, and we pray that you'd change our hearts, that you'd make us new, that you'd cause things to be different, that our face would shine, that we'd be Christians who are committed to a, a face that says, I know and love Jesus Christ. He is my authority figure, and I walk with him. Lord God, would that be true of us? Would we truly be Christians who are truly following you in that way? 
in your name we pray. Amen.